ಚಿತ್ತಸ್ಯಪದೇನಚಿತ್ತಸ್ಯಪದೇನವಾಚಾಂ So in the last class uh, we concluded the various siddhis the vibhutis which has been spoken of in the third chapter with the 49th sutra of the third chapter the description of the vibhutis concludes and there are few more sutras from 50 to 55 and other six sutras in the third chapter itself though the chapter is named vibhuti pada the last six sutras actually starts describing the kaivalya the state of liberation which is the goal of yoga and which is the uh, the final chapter of the yoga sutra the fourth chapter the kaivalya pada that starts actually in the third chapter itself in the last part with a few sutras so from the 50th sutra uh, we actually the kaivalya pada commences so we will start with the 50th sutra the 50th sutra though directly itself is not lit is not something linked to the kaivalya pada it actually is the precaution is the warning which has been given that till now all the vibhutis which we have spoken of this can be uh something which is a hindrance to the kaivalya so that's what has been indicated in the 50th sutra so let us go to the sutra directly and start our discussion the 50th sutra of the third chapter tat vairagyat api dosha vijakshaye kaivalyam so by giving up even those powers tat vairagyat that till now all the supernatural powers which has been described if we give up they may come up in the process of our spiritual evolution as we are proceeding in our spiritual journey they may come up as a side effect and we may get lured and then we get sidetracked so here is the warning so we have to renounce that tatvairagyat all these supernatural powers which has been described in now by by renouncing them then what happens by giving up those powers comes the destruction of the very seed of ignorance of evil this api dosha tad vairagya api dosha vijakshay that all the dosha vija all the evils that enunciates that starts from ignorance that what are the various dosha the five afflictions speaks of the dosha from ignorance from avidya what uh was what has what is the next evolute of avidya asmita the once you become ignorant about your real nature you start associating your identity with the psychophysical existence with a limited sense of i that amness my amness is limited with this body mind complex that's the asmita from ignorance that comes and once that comes the other three afflictions the doshas follows what are they raga dvesha abhinivesha the moment i am identified with this psychophysical existence anything that is agreeable to the psychophysical existence anything that sustains that anything that nourishes that i get attached to it drawn towards it that's the raga anything that is not amiable to the psychophysical existence anything that proves to be detrimental proves to be harmful to the psychophysical existence i avoid it and that avoidance can be in two ways if i if i have the power to get rid of it then i fight it and if i don't have the power then i run away from it 
So in English, it is called fight and flight response. And in yoga, sutra, the terminology is the dvesha and abhinivesha. The hatred and tremendous love for life actually speaks, abhinivesha means tremendous love for life, which indirectly speaks of fear of death. So I run away always. I cannot get rid of death. So I'm always throughout my life is running away from death. We never want that. So these all are the cause of dukkha, dosha. So all these dosha, the seeds of this dosha can be removed, can be annihilated. If I can renounce all the supernatural powers that comes in the process of my spiritual evolution. So if you can renounce that, then what will happen? All the dosha is destroyed, you are purified, and at last it leads to kaivalya. So this tat vairagya dapi, even after renouncing all those powers, dosha vijakshaye, all the dosha, all the seeds of evil are destroyed, kshaya means destroyed, and that ultimately results in kaivalya. Tat vairagya dapi, dosha vijakshaye kaivalya. So after speaking of that renouncing of the supernatural power, leading to the state of Kaivalyam, now the state of Kaivalyam will be described gradually. The 51st Sutra is a warning that not only in this life you get supernatural powers. If you are sufficiently evolved in spiritual life, you may get stuck in the various other planes of subtle planes of existence, which speaks of enjoyment, the ideas of heaven, the idea of all those various locus, where I may get stuck up there. How you will find that those who were not perfect, those who got stuck up in their spiritual journey, they were almost nearing the perfection but couldn't. So they are already in those planes of existence and you will find they are inviting you. It's a lure, means in this world, the powers are a matter, matter of extreme temptation after the death. The so-called, we find that in the, in the, if you read books of near death experience, many will be relating that there are the angels who are in as if guiding you to some very exalted state of existence. But as per the highest spiritual goal is concerned, they are also impediments to the ultimate spiritual journey. So we have to be very aware of that. And that's being warned in the 51st Sutra. Very interesting. What it is speaking? Sthani, Upanimantrane, Sangha Smaya Akarana, Puna Anishta Prasangat. Sthani. Is those sthani, those who have attained those sthana or the sthani, all the subtle planes of existence, those who have attained those celestial beings, they have been designated as sthani, those who have already settled there. So these celestial beings, what they will do? Upanimantrane, they will be inviting. They will be very, very cordial inviting. Upanimantrana itself means invitation. The upa prefix means it will be a very endearing invitation, very difficult to get rid of. As if they love you so much, they want to just get hold of you by your, by your hand as if, and just to guide you to the upper place of existence. So this is Upanimantrana. So this is a lure. We have to be very, we, we have to be aware of and not get lured by them. So what is saying? Sangha akaranam. I shouldn't accept Sangha. Sangha means acceptance. It means they, when they come with the invitation, Sangha akaranam. This akaranam is, akaranam is used with two words, Sangha and Smaya. Very interesting. Sangha means I don't accept the invitation. I don't go along with them. I do not accompany them. I don't accept. But at the same time, it shouldn't that I have somehow been capable of resisting the temptation and immediately the vanity may grow. Oh, I am a great, I have great power of renunciation. So that vanity should also not come. Smaya speaks of vanity. 
Sangha Smaya Akaranam. First, I shouldn't accept the invitation, but I should be humble enough to uh, reject that invitation. I should be humble enough. It that rejection shouldn't give me a feeling, oh, even these celestial beings couldn't tempt me and that I am a great renunciate. If you have that vanity, that itself can again be the cause of anishta. That's being mentioned here. It's both the lure by getting tempted, that may result in anishta, and the vanity may also result in anishta. So the consequences, the prasangat, that you may meet undesirable consequences if you either get lured or you get you have developed a sense of vanity. So that's what is being indicated in this rule. Sthani Upani Mantrane, even when the celestial beings are there cordially inviting you, Sangha Smaya Akaranam, Sangha Smaya Akaranam, this Akaranam has to be linked with both Sangha and Smaya. So Sangha Akaranam, I don't get attached to that invitation, I don't get lured, I don't accept, I don't get, I don't yield to that acceptation, rather invitation, and smaya karnam. At the same time, the vanity also shouldn't grow. Why? Because that may result in harmful consequences. Anishta prasangat. So this is a wonderful sutra. That why they are there to invite you. Just as in this earth, we have herd mentality. A group of drug addicts always want a newcomer. They are always waiting. They will lure. First they will say, oh, there is no need to pay. Free drug is given to you. All those uh, asking for money comes much later. So this herd mentality is something which is common everywhere. In this, our gross plane of existence, in the subtle plane of existence, those who got stuck up there, they develop that herd mentality. They want all others also to join them. So it's very natural that herd mentality. There is a very nice story that how this herd mentality, what this herd mentality is. When Swami Vivekananda met Pavari Baba, he, it's a very interesting story. Seeing that such a spiritually uplifted soul, he found that, but he has no organization, no mutt as such. He is a recluse staying alone in a cave. So one day he asked that you're so highly spiritually exalted. Why don't you have your own matha organization? Why don't you initiate others to sannyasa? You can be a big inspiration. And then Pavari Baba told, I don't want to form an organization of sannyasis whose nose has been amputated. Nakkata Shadu Shampradaya. Swamiji never understood. He told, please Swamiji explain me what you mean by this uh, sect of sannyasins whose nose has been amputated. Then he told a very interesting story that a thief was once caught stealing. In the olden days, you know, the people very easily took the laws in their own hands. So if you are caught stealing, the, all the people will catch you. And what's the punishment? That the thief should always be identified that you have stolen. Even nowadays, you will find if someone runs away from any reformatory center's jail, you will find that they have a uniform so that they can easily be identified that some, uh, the color of the dress is almost like ours. So they will have a particular uniform. So in those days, it was more crude. What they used to do, they will ampute the nose. So that seeing that person, easily all can understand that he have resorted to stealing, he's a thief. So all will be aware of him. So such as one person was caught stealing and his nose was amputated. Now this person got so much ashamed that how can I stay in society? Everyone will know, whenever they see, they will know that I am a thief. If not, even if I'm not a thief now, I have stolen something in the past. So this is what that will be indicated with just by my appearance. So out of shame, he just went inside the deep inside the forest to hide himself, never to come back in the society. So he used to stay there. 
is to eat the roots, herbs, fruits of the forest, and is to stay there. He grew long beards, and he used to just uh, have his. Uh, he used to relax under the shade of a tree, and by chance one day, some traveler was passing through the forest, and he saw this person with the nose amputated. And somehow thought he, the thought came that why should a person be here and live in the forest? He must be a recluse. He must be a swami, a, a, a sannyasin, a renunciate, who is a sincere in his spiritual practice, who must be a very sincere spiritual aspirant and must have progressed a lot. Otherwise, how is it possible to stay deep in this forest, totally cut off from the society with no so-called social amenities available? How is it possible? So being highly inspired by that person, taking him to be a highly spiritually evolved soul, he went and fell flat at his feet and told, Oh, Swami, please initiate me. Please initiate me. And this thief, he also has his hard mentality. He also wants a group of people with amputed nose. He told, yes, in my sampradaya, in my organization, the, there is a condition for initiation. So what is the condition? Well, you see my nose amputated? That's what my guru asked me to do when I was initiated. And that's the tradition. So for getting initiated in, this, uh, in the sampradaya to which I belong, the lineage to which I belong, you have to get your nose amputated. So he agreed. His nose was amputated. And in no time, in a few decades, it was found there's a huge sampradaya, an organization with many swamis whose nose has been amputated. That's, that's how the Nakkata Shadu Sampradaya came into existence. That's what Pawari Baba related to Swamiji and told, I have no intention to form such an organization. <laughs> so what's the idea? That's sometimes we may not be perfect, but at the same time, because of the herd mentality, we want to have an organization. You all can relate to this story very well. Our society is full of so many organizations. We all, why that from the herd mentality it comes? We, though we are not perfect, we profess to be something great and we invite others, luring them saying that you are going to get a great benefit out of this. And that doesn't happen here. It happens even in the celestial plane. So beware. Beware of this Nakkata Shadu Sampradaya. That's what the Pavari Baba used to say. They're, they're all as if being amputed from the final spiritual goal. They've been amputed. And they are there to lure us. Now somehow if you have not got lured by them, the very next moment, the vanity may come. Oh, I'm quite powerful. That again will be the cause of your this fall. Because the, what, was the, what is the only condition of spiritual growth? The annihilation of ego. The moment the ego comes into picture, your spiritual uh, or identity gets, your spiritual dimension gets shadowed. So the moment the vanity, that's the biggest hindrance in our spiritual journey is this vanity. So the moment the vanity comes, know it for certain, it is going to be detrimental to your spiritual progress, evolution. There's a wonderful story in Ramayana when Hanumana was on his mission to find out Sita. He jumped over the ocean to reach Lanka, the present Sri Lanka, Ceylon. To reach Lanka, he jumped over the ocean. And when he was, as if flying over the ocean, suddenly a demoness came from the ocean. Her name was Simhika. Now Simhika used to live deep in the ocean. And whenever she used to find someone, uh, flying over the ocean, she had a special power. What she used to do? When someone is flying, she cannot reach there. She reached to the sky. She can only remain in the ocean. But she had a very specific power. What the power was? When the shadow of the object which is flying falls on the ocean, 
this simhika had the power to grab the shadow and pull that person that a flying object and devour him devour that that flying object it by the shadow it will pull so that way any bird anything that is to fly the simhika that is to feed on that will just grab the shadow and pull it now when hanumana was flying was jumping over the ocean simhika came out and now what hanumana had a tremendous capacity of becoming small or becoming big immediately he became so small that it was almost impossible that there was no shadow there was no shadow as we can so small and it was possible for hanuman to even pass between the jaws of simhika and escape so this is a story that he became too small so small that there was no shadow in the ocean and escaped from uh, the clutch of simhika so this story actually has some significance what's the significance that in our life the greater is our ego the more our subconscious mind is shadowed by our ego the things there are all hidden i think i am such i am such hiding all the subconscious tendencies there in the shadow and from that shadow the demoness is there it comes and grabs you by your shadow to pull you down and just destroy you to disintegrate you so ego is a big hindrance girish chandra ghosh the great poet had a wonderful way of saying how nag mahashaya nag mahashaya was one of ramakrishna's household disciple but he was a highly evolved spiritual soul he once compared nag mahashaya girish chandra ghosh compared nag mahashaya with swami vivekananda that they both have transcended the lure of maya but in both in a very different way swami vivekananda asserted the self his assertion that he is the self made him so big so big that the net of the maya fell short it couldn't clutch swami vivekananda that is assertion that i am the self i am the atman nothing can affect me his conviction was so strong that as if made him a huge personality if the maya was fell short maya's net fell short to get hold of him and nag mahashaya was just the opposite he was so humble so humble he became so small that he passed through the nets of the maya so that's the idea that the ego ego if has to vanish it can vanish in two ways either constantly remember that you are the self and when i am the self the question of this temptation doesn't come even the question of vanity also doesn't come that if i am the self everything else is a projection if i am always uh, identified with it the question of vanity only comes when i identified with my limited existence thinking me to be this limited existence i have overpowered all the temptations but when you are the self you are so big the question it is as if something just you are an elderly person and the challenge is for something very small just when like a small puppy when it is biting nibbling on the mother the mother never takes it as a challenge it just take it is a child's play and constantly goes on but uh, you say that discouraging the child from doing it again and again but it is not way feeling something very that they were full of vanity oh i am have succeeded in uh, um, resisting my child from constantly pestering me it never thinks that way it knows it is a child it is a childish way so you have become so big that you know these all uh, so called the, the the celestial beings uh, temptations are something childish they are behaving in a childish way and you are not feeling any vanity you just are indifferent about it but if the vanity comes know it for certain still you are identifying yourself with the limited your psychophysical existence and trying to think that you have the sufficient power to overcome it and that actually strengthening your ego in no time again the ego will be there 
for waiting there for your downfall. And that is, you will know, no, you, you won't even know that how it's happening because your ego has shadowed your subconscious mind from where the simhika will come. You also don't know. So this just see that how subtle is the spiritual journey. At each and every moment in our spiritual journey, we find a little, even in our, what to speak of, uh, that uh, after departing, going in the subtle body, just for two days, I get good meditation. Immediately I start broadcasting. Oh, I got so good meditation. Gone. Everything is gone. We find that with that, in spite of good meditation, that the vanity is so much that it actually speaks that he even doesn't have the social skills to deal with the person in a community life. But even that basic skill is not there, full of vanity, that just two days he got good meditation. And that's the cause of vanity. So spiritual journey is very subtle. That's why uh, our senior elderly monks always go on saying, never speak out a realization. If you have realization, to, if you have doubt about your realization, you go to your guru and humbly relate, not to anyone else. Otherwise, don't relate. It is going to create that vanity that I have some realization. The spiritual journey is very, very subtle. And the moment that vanity comes, immediately you will find that your realization has become something very shallow. It's no more there. So thus, this sutra is something which reminds of that, that we have to develop detachment. At the same time, there shouldn't be any vanity. So that's Sangha Smaya Akaranam. It's like a mantra. Sangha Akaranam, at the same time, Smaya Akaranam. There shouldn't be attachment, neither there should be vanity. So now let's proceed to the next sutra. So now Patanjali will be speaking. He has spoken of the various types of samadhis in the very first chapter. The process, the ashtama, the, this, uh, this eightfold paths has been spoken of in the second chapter. But now here, before concluding the third chapter, he will speak of a process of meditation by which you can get that highest discriminative knowledge leading you to Kaivalya liberation. And that way we find the scriptures are broad enough. In the first chapter, we had the idea of Ishwara Pranidhana. We had the idea of Atman, that the Purusha. If you say that I neither believe in Ishwara, I don't believe in uh, the so-called consciousness of the Purusha. Is there any spiritual practice which can uh, lead to liberation? You may say that I don't believe in liberation. Okay, I don't believe in liberation, but I believe that uh, to transcend the so-called the dualities of life, the joys, the sorrows, everyone will be willing. But I want to be above them. I don't want to get too much exalted by all the small joys of life. Neither am I to get depressed by the little sorrow that come in my life. We are as if like a small uh, worm being carried away by the wave. Sometimes I'm in the peak, sometimes the just trough. I'm in the crest, I'm in the trough of the wave. I have, I'm as if like a helpless creature. Is there any way out that I can transcend and be equipoised always? So it speaks neither of Atman or Brahman, nothing else. So Yoga Sutra even deals with that. It is something similar with the, uh, the Buddhist meditation of mindfulness. But at the same time, there is a subtle difference. Let us just go to the Sutra and then we will try to find out what it is speaking. 52nd Sutra of the third chapter. Kshana Tat Krama Samyamat. Samyamat. Kshana Tat Krama Samyamat Vivekajam Gyanam. Kshana, moment, Tat Krama, the its sequence, the consequent moment. It's constantly, that's what's going on. That we cannot get, just get hold of a moment and stay there. What is happening? The time is flowing. Kshana, each and every moment, Tat Krama, its sequence, the next moment. If I am aware of it, it will lead to Vivekajagyana, this knowledge of discrimination. By practicing Samyama on the moment and its sequence, you develop the knowledge of discrimination. You can discriminate between the self and the non-self. It's a very wonderful practice. What's the practice? 
is spoken of in this life because of the limitation of our senses we take so many things as permanent my house is permanent but you go to any geophysicist he will say that there is constant tectonic movement on the earth everything is moving any time there can be a earthquake and your the house which you have purchased a land with a million dollar built a built a huge house thinking i am going to it is going to be there even after my death most probably my children will be enjoying and maybe after that the, their children also will be enjoying and just in a simple earthquake it just is gone why we have that notion that everything is permanent because of the limitation of our understanding that everything is quite okay everything is okay, permanent nothing is changing but there is constant change going on a constant change when it goes on like a flow it somehow gives the sense of permanency which is not there which is false which is a delusion in the scripture they speak of alata prakaran alata alata means torch firebrand when you are moving a torch is just in a circle in a circle when you go on moving a torch you just have a fire torch in your hand and you are moving it in a circle quite fast you are moving it will appear as a fire band as a ring of fire it's a common experience when i am revolving a torch it appears as a ring of fire now that's the this allegory which is being given the simile which has been given that in this life as the things goes on flowing constantly at a fast pace it gives a sensation that it is permanent everything is more in motion that just say that the solid table is it solid we know that actually uh, it is made up of atoms and what is the structure of each atom there is the nucleus where the protons and the neutrons are there and the electrons are moving around and the electrons are moving at a quite uh, large distance away from the nucleus if you consider uh, a football ground where a football has been kept in the center of the football ground the nucleus is moving around the stadium remaining is the space that much of distance proportional distance is there in each atom which speaks what that matter is negligible most of the place is space but why i don't see the motion that it is but that space is there but in that space electrons are moving at a tremendous speed i don't see at each and every moment it is changing its position but i see it as a solid structure is a limitation of my senses and that gives a sense of permanence not there even within my body constantly everything is changing my thoughts are changing my body is changing the cells which constitutes my body not a single cell will be there after another 10 12 years they are dying new cells are growing so as per my annamaya kosha is concerned i am a constant change as per my mind is constant as a child the way i used to think i don't think anymore it is everything is changing but beyond that the sense of i is something permanent so if i can do sangyama i can be mindful about e moment and its sequence then this delusion that everything is permanent is bound to go off you see that everything is changing and that change is giving the appearance of permanency that just like the ring now the big question comes then is every then then is there nothing permanent is everything only a flow that all this flow gives the sense of the self the atman actually atman is not there yes of course there are sections of buddhists who believe that there is nothing called atman no self anatta the theory of anatta there is no self everything is moving and that movement gives the sensation of the atman just the way the ring is not there the movement of the torch gives the sensation of a permanent ring similarly the concept of self is something like that very very strong justification but swami vivekananda in one sentence is negating that uh, that were that way of argument the way of argument, in one sentence is saying very interesting thing yes 
that fire ring is true. What you are saying is true, that something which is constantly changing gives a sense of permanence which is not there. If you take only the objective reality, if you take the subjective standpoint, then it no more stands, it doesn't hold uh, to be a quite good justification. What Swamiji says is very interesting. Now, the firebrand doesn't exist, isn't it? That the ring of fire doesn't exist. I am deluded, I see it. So Swamiji, what he says is very interesting. That yes, I also believe that fire ring doesn't exist. Someone is deluding, someone is seeing it. So I don't consider the one who is seeing. Yes, he's deluding, but there is someone, a witness who is seeing it. He's the self, the one who is witnessing. The one who doubts the existence of the self is the self. The doubter is the self. Who is doubting? So when I am constantly witnessing, I immediately, through that type of samyama, I will come to understand that everything is a flow, which is a giving a sense of permanency. Give that, that permanency in each and every individual is asmita. But asmita is that sense of individuality. That is not real. But it is because of the constant change of the body, of the mind behind that, that I sense of I is being created. But who is witnessing that? It's a delusion. That asmita is something which is a delusion. But someone is, is being deluded to think that I am this I. He is the one who is the Purusha. So now you will find that how the Viveka Jagyanam comes by constantly being mindful of the change which is happening at each and every moment. So you need not have to meditate on God. You need not have to think yourself as Purusha. Just go on the change and observe and then automatically this distinction will come. Is this behind this flow, the sense of permanency is a delusion. And that delusion is because of the projection of the self on the something which is flowing. So this is a process of going to the state of Savikalpa Samadhi, which, is a, which has not been spoken of earlier, is being spoken of here in the 52nd Sutra. So what is the result that comes out of it? So these sutras are quite interesting. The result that comes out of it is being spoken of in the 53rd Sutra. What's the result? Jati Lakshana Deshai Anyata Anavachedat Tulyaya Tat Pratipatti. So the Sanskrit is quite technical. Let us go word by word. Jati Lakshana Deshai. The species. Sometimes just say the twins. Both are so twin sister, look alive. Both are human, the jati is same. Lakshana. Sometimes by the sign, you know, that, uh, that I am also human, you are also human. How we distinguish? Oh, I am taller than you. Or my complexion is fairer than you. These are the lakshanas. Or maybe uh, that uh, there is some, but my, there's a, there, the eyes are smaller, the eyes are bigger. My these hairs are built curled, your hairs are straight. These are all the indications by which we can distinguish even of the same jati, the two different individuals. And what else? Deshai. Even if there are two look alikes, exactly, no jati difference, then we will say the one uh, who is standing on the left is Mr. A and one who is standing in the right is Mr. B. So either by jati or by lakshana or at least by desha, we can differentiate the two things. But there some, but in our life, we will find there are many occasions where Jati, Lakshana, Deshai, these three, on all the three cannot, with all these three, I cannot differentiate a thing. You may say, how is it possible? I will give an example, just say. Suppose you enter a room, a house, your friend's house you go, and you see an umbrella kept on the corner of the room. And most probably every, whenever you visit, you see it there. And for then for a few years, you most probably have been posted somewhere else. So you are not there in that locality. And again, you come back after say 10 years to meet your friend, go to his house and you see the same umbrellas there in that corner. And now you say, oh, it's the same umbrella. 
that and the same place you have kept. But now the friend will explain that yes, the jati is same. Both of them the jati is same. What's the jati is same? Actually, this umbrella I always have the habit of keeping there. But you know, it in time it started getting uh, there's a lot of decays. The cloth got decayed. I had to change the cloth once. The spikes got broke. The spikes, the spikes broke. I had to change the spike. The even the the center rod on which the spikes are all fixed and the cloth is also spread over it. That also had to change. So nothing of the original umbrella is there. But all the changes were similar. I, the same color cloth I have put when it was changed. The spikes were also of the same nature. The rod is also the same color. So by Lakshana also, it is not possible to distinguish. And Deshai is kept in the same place. So what happens? I think it's the same umbrella, but nothing is same. Everything has changed. The Jati, Lakshana, Deshai, Anyata. But why couldn't I find out that why uh, that, 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 that it is not the same? Because I was not actually seeing it Kshana Tatkrama. I was away there for 10 years. When I came back, each and every moment, so many changes happen. At one point, the cloth was changed. At another point, the spikes were changed. At another point, the rod was changed. I haven't seen. Krakshana Tatkrama was not visible. This thing I see after 10, uh, 10 years again, I see it appears to be the same. So when you do that mindful meditation on each and every moment, then only it is possible to differentiate between these are the things which are not distinguishable. So we just had an idea with all these examples. Now let us go back to the Sutra what is saying. Jati, Lakshana, Deshai, Anyata, Anavachedat. Anavachedat means when there is no way to distinguish uh, that the, the, between the Jati, the Lakshana, all the signs, the species, the distinctive mark and the place. Even they get discriminated by the Samyama which has been spoken of above in the 52nd Sutra. So what it is speaking of in our day-to-day -day life, we think I am the same person who was at the time of my birth as a child. We are uh, never aware of each and every moment of our life. How now, you, now the question will be asked, how is it possible? Yes, it is possible. If somehow by mindfulness, to certain extent, you have developed that detachment. Then the bias falls off. All the bias, all the likings, dislikings, they start falling off. As they fall, start falling off, your immediate concerns start falling off. Your awareness gets what is this expanded. It starts encroaching all the areas of your life where previously you were not aware of. That example we will give this, you will understand that suppose the, a, a lady in the house, uh, so she is in the morning, in the morning when the husband has to go to the office, when the child has to go to the school and she also most probably has to go to the office after arranging the food and uh, preparing the child for going to the school after doing all those household course, she also has to go to office. So at the morning hour, she's so busy. Can she think of anything which has happened yesterday? Or can she just think, so plan something for, the, for tomorrow? Nothing. She has to be highly focused at the moment. Most probably after the school hour, she came back a bit early. The child is yet to come back. Husband is also yet to come back. So she is having a cup of tea, relaxing. Now the mind automatically will be going, will be just encroaching those areas in the past. Oh, yesterday such and such thing happened. Oh, tomorrow I have to take care of all those things. So unless you get can free your mind, your mind cannot just encompass. So when through this mindfulness, your mind gets rid of the immediate concerns, likings, dislikings, it starts encompassing more and more of its previous existence. And that results in something wonderful. That though it may appear that I am the same person, 
but through this type of awareness actually all the events of life will start uh, being projected in your awareness and you become aware not only of this life also of the past lives so by this type of uh, mindfulness where even the jati lakshana desha uh, which generally cannot be discerned you cannot separate them that gets separated then something wonderful happens what happens is been spoken of in the 54th sutra what is the, what is the characteristic of the descriptive knowledge thus acquired in the that by the mindfulness tarakam sarva vishayam sarvatha vishayam akramam cha iti vivekajam jnana this it is it is a saving knowledge tarakam tarakam means that which is a saving factor so this knowledge becomes a saving knowledge because you acquired the knowledge of everything sarva vishaya of everything sarvatha vishaya not only every not everything in general you get the knowledge of everything in not only in details everything sarvatha means uh, sarva vishayam as well as a sarvatha vishayam i know everything and that also in details in sanskrit or in our original language is punkhanupuk so everything in details in minute uh, details i can get the knowledge of the thing by this type of uh, this the discriminative knowledge and the knowledge that flashes in my mind is akramam that generally in our life all knowledge is sequential the true experience experience are the sequence through which i gathered the knowledge but when through this mindfulness your awareness encompasses your past even your past births past lives then the knowledge whatever knowledge comes it comes in a flash it doesn't have to follow the sequence akramam knowledge you will understand that how it happens suppose for the first time when i am reading a book i don't know what's the content of it i am reading word by word page by page one page over i get the knowledge i turn the next page and when the entire book has been read i keep the book aside and most probably some uh, suddenly a few days later somewhere else i just see that same book just seeing the cover page of the book immediately the knowledge of the entire book flashes at a time because you have read already read page by page so all in the entire knowledge that what the book the subject matter what is the subject matter of the book what it has described everything comes in a flash you don't have to go again page by page so through the mindfulness when your mind has started encompassing your past births now the knowledge becomes what is the first this what's that you you become aware of that kshana tatkrama what has happened in the past birth at each and every moment at each and every turning point of your life and what consequences it resulted in now when you see that you become a very wise person just by seeing the ways of life in the present you can as it predict what is going to happen just the way you will understand even in your present life to certain extent we have experienced that it happens all the parents get so much concerned when they see a particular behavioral pattern in their children why what's the matter of concern as they themselves has gone through the life they have gathered the experience so such behavior actually speaks of such tendencies which can result in such and such a destiny and they get concerned sometimes it becomes almost impossible to explain the child that this type of behavioral pattern is not something which is commended but the child doesn't understand because the child has to go through that sequential knowledge through the experience to understand it and this is a big clash the generation gap clash the uh, the this the gap of the generation the one through wisdom understands what is going to happen the other doesn't understand so that's why it's always good to take the wisdom of the elderly because they've gone through that sequential experiences those who can take they are the real wise one in english they say that wise learn through precepts fools learn through experiences but most of us are fools we have to learn through the experiences but it is the wise who learns through the precepts and who is the real wise 
who through, through this type of discrimination has went back to the past to see the kshana and the tatkrama in all the previous lives. That what type of tendencies resulted in what type of consequences. And that gives him the wisdom. It's not something supernatural. That gives him the wisdom. Seeing any situation, immediately he can predict what's going to happen in near future. In some previous class, we gave some example. Again, we will give that example. When Swami Vivekananda was traveling through the West, some of his utterances has proven to be prophetic. Sitting now, we feel that how he actually uttered those words. When Swamiji's disciples, along with him, who were accompanying him, the ladies, the American ladies, and from England also someone was there, they were accompanying Swamiji and seeing this, this, uh, the flourished nation of the Europe with all its pomp and glory. They were full of vanity. They were saying, Swamiji, see what a wonderful civilization we have. Swamiji immediately told that what I see, you know, I see the entire Europe is as if sitting on the tip of a volcano to explode anytime. They never understood that what Swamiji is speaking, why he is speaking, they never understood. But it took just another 50 years after Swamiji passed away that what he told to be something is absolute truth. The two world wars we see has happened. When Swamiji was going through the West, he saw the thing which was a matter of vanity, even they never understand. At those, in those days, entire Europe was obsessed with the idea that we are highly civilized. Other nations are in dark. We have to colonialize them. It's not, it's a, it's a good thing because they are in dark. We colonialize them and that the first, the, what do you say, the, uh, the soldier goes, next the church goes to civilize those people. And in the name of colonialization, a wonderful thing was told by some one of the, uh, this, uh, this African priest, this name I'm forgetting, that very interesting thing he told, that when the, they came, means when the Westerners came, we had the land, they had the Bible. And after a few decades, it is we who hold the Bible, they have the land. <laughs> so, so that's the thing Swamiji was seeing. The thing, uh, the, the, uh, thing uh, the, the, the matter of vanity of the Western disciples was something Swamiji could just uh, pierce through that well of it and see the actual fact that it is the ugly sin of colonialization. And there's a tremendous competition in the various nations within the Europe the Chauvinistic nationalism, whatever my nation does, loots or whatever it does, if it is for the good of my nation, it brings prosperity, it is good. That is called Chauvinistic nationalism. And that was actually uh, encouraging colonialism and the competition has started growing. The, all the countries, there was a cold tension going on. And the idea I am superior that we find in the Second World War, the, this, this tremendous, this, uh, what you say, the, uh, the, the killing of the masses has happened in millions. Why? Because only the superior race should exist, the other should be annihilated. Just see all these ideas, which was never thought to be something very, very dangerous, potent, it has a very dangerous potential. It was all okay. Swamiji understood. He's saying it is all sitting on a volcano just to erupt anytime. And there are two world wars within the 50 years and the entire belief system that countries has now we find that in all the European countries that as a religious organization to exist has become so difficult because 80% people are atheists. All the values, system, everything has simply washed away. Two world wars came. And everything was as if washed away. The, all the, you know, the values which we hold to be something dear to us, they washed away. It's a sense, a sense of hopelessness came. Everything we see has happened and Swamiji is just by seeing. Why? Kshana Tatkrama. History repeats itself. He can as if see the past. And as a result, what happens? That present the knowledge becomes Akrama. As you can see the Krama of the past, the present knowledge becomes a crumb. It comes in a flash. He has already read the book. 
the pages. It's already there. Now the world is an open book for him. Just seeing, he can, just what he can say, what's going to happen. So many things he has told, which he will find is very interesting. It's not that, uh, it's not written, it's written far, far, uh, means ahead of time. When Swamiji not even became famous, he was, uh, what you say that, uh, giving parlor lectures before Chicago. At that, in one of the parlor lectures is mentioned that he went into a set of state of trance. And when he came down from the trance, suddenly he told, beware to the American nation, he's saying, beware, your country is going to be, uh, what do you say that attacked? And they told, who is going to attack? They had the idea that no one can just even think of attacking America. And in those days, 100 years back, Swamiji is saying it's China. <laughs> that the Chinese civil, the Mongoloids, he has used the words, they are going to invade. They find that it may not be the invasion uh, as such in, in the, as in war, but in economy, as culture, everything is percolating. For good or bad, it is happening. What all these prophetic visions from where they get? Tarakam Sarva Vishen, Sarvata Visham. Swami Vivekananda, uh, this another prophetic vision was that in another 50 years, India is going to get independence and that also in a very unpredictable way. He's seeing that because of this uh, so-called, this all this the competition for the colonialization, there's going to be a war. And at the end of the war, it has to be declared that no more colonies and all the colonies has to be set free. It's not the freedom movement. It is the decision of the United Nations, as such all the nations united together to take the decision, no more colonies, which actually resulted in freedom of all the Asian countries, especially the Southeast Asian countries. It's not only India, all the nations got freedom at the time. It's a decision after the Second World War. So in 50 years, Swami is giving the time that it is going to happen. And that also in an unpredictable way. So these speaks that this, they, they just are getting the knowledge in a flash. They don't have to go through the experiences. We had to go through these experiences. What Swamiji saw for another 50 years, we had to wait. We had to go as an entire human civilization had to go through the sequence of experience to realize what has been told. So that's why very interesting. Ramakrishna one day told a very interesting thing. You know, why prof, this, the so-called, the spiritually illumined souls, the prophets are never uh, recognized uh, when they're living. It's only in the future, people start recognizing their words. It's because they get the knowledge in a flash. We have to go through the experiences. And he gave a wonderful example. Ramakrishna was the master of example. He was sitting by the side of the Ganges. And when he was sitting with his devotees, they all saw a steamer passing through the mead of the Ganges. In front of them, they saw the steamer. It is just passing down the Ganges. And when the steamer was quite far away, suddenly Ramakrishna as well as all the disciples saw the water of Ganges is splashing on the bank. And Ramakrishna, immediately the master of examples is giving a wonderful example. What he's saying, you know, this splash, the ship is so far away, the steamer is so far away. Now you see the splash, but you all know when the splash was created, when the steamer was just in, perpendicularly in, uh, in front of us. It was just passing down the Ganges in front of us. Is That's the time when the splash was created. It's far away. The splashes took time to reach the shore. By that time, it is far away. So that's what happens for us. We have to wait for the flashes to come in sequence and then we realize that it has been created. And by that time, the one who has created the flash has already passed far, far distance. So this shows that their vision is something. They don't have to wait for the sequence. Just by seeing a particular situation, they can immediately predict. That's the way the father, sometimes the mother, sometimes predict the behavioral pattern of the child leading to what? And the, the, their concerns sometimes prove to be true. The same way, they act like the father and the mother of the entire civilization. They're the fathers. They can as if see the future. And that speaks how it comes from that discriminative knowledge, which gives him the capacity to see the kshana and its krama. 
we cannot we just deluded we are always uh, what you say that hooked up to the present so much we cannot just contemplate on the kshana and the krama we just get concerned with the present so much so busy with the present once we have that uh, power of uh, this discerning ourselves from our immediate concerns and just look at the life like a bird's view just as a the, you know that the bird's view if anybody see the when a picture is in bird view if you go to belurmat i can see uh, just when i'm walking down the belurmat i can now see the temple then i go to the headquarters office i cannot see the entire thing but if i was a like a drone like a bird like a drone from the top i take the picture the entire picture comes at a time so the more we get distanced from our day to day activities you are more away from it you are as if from the you know from a flight from an aeroplane you get the picture of the whole thing so that's being indicated this viveka jnana gives you that uh, what you say the distance that detachment from that distance from which you get that overall vision and that's the knowledge comes in a flash you do not have to go through the sequences to walk down from place to place from time to time to get the experience it comes in a flash and that is a saving because if you know what's going to happen because of particular way of life we can actually uh, take necessary measures we can uh, take necessary measures we can warn we can uh, educate the human kind in uh, into the what is it that the possibilities which are going to happen and avert all the dangers that as a human being we have the capacity this it is a, only the human being who has this capacity it is the vision of the elders which saves the next generation to give a common example suppose there is a sand pit what is the difference between me and a chimpanzee chimpanzee with though they are quite intelligent but still how much uh, means uh, the difference is there between a chimpanzee and me suppose the chimpanzee falls in the sand pit and dies in the same sand pit his son his grandson his great grandson everywhere one may fall and die but for a human being if one realizes there is a sand pit next day there is a sign board to say beware there is a sand pit and we all can avert that accident no other beings can do that so these sign boards are very important thing which comes from this vivekajam gyanam so that's why these perennial values are so important if we say i don't care for them know it for certain nothing happens to them they remain as it is i cannot just uh, uh, take them up or pull them down they remain where it is it is we who suffer if i say i don't believe in gravitation the gravitation is not going to vanish it is there i say if i say i don't believe in gravitation and jump out of a 20 story building it is i who am going to die crash and die so i cannot break those laws i break myself so all these perennial values if i say i don't believe in them nothing happens to them it is we who get affected so that's why they become the saving factor if we acknowledge them even few days back we tiktok talk i heard that nowadays we go for justification everywhere we don't believe in this past birth and all even spiritual dimension of our existence nothing and in the tiktok talk the very nice question was asked what is the truth if the truth is something which sustains us then the big question was asked just go to the any aboriginal cultures the old cultures which we know have existed for 50000 60000 years with all those beliefs they were sustaining themselves for 50000 60000 years and with all our scientific knowledge in 200 years we are about to collapse just ask let us ask ourselves is there something truth in this perennial values which has sustained them and let us not be biased here we sometimes in the name of being scientific is actually scientifically superstitious which is more dangerous than a religious superstition the one who is scientifically superstitious is more dangerous than a religiously superstitious person so this sutra should make us aware and give that help us to develop the faculty to be open to all these perennial values if we want to learn from precepts and not like a fool to disintegrate after learning through experience so this is the 54th sutra we speaks of and 55th sutra will speak of that what's the result 
of this type of discerning knowledge. At last, it will lead to the Kaivalya. We will take up this last sutra of this uh, third chapter uh, in the next class. And then the discussion on the Kaivalya path, the fourth, the final chapter. It has about 35 or 36 sutras. It's a comparatively smaller chapter. So we will start the discussion of the last chapter, most probably in the next class after uh, completing this, the last sutra of this chapter. So thank you all. Namaskar.